0: Welcome to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm, a podcast for managing and growing your legal practice. Lexicon CEO, Dan Cuneo, and Director of Legal Operations and Training, Sarah Rutan Bates, discuss how to make your law practice profitable in the modern legal industry. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Entrepreneurial Lawyer. I am Dan Cuneo, your host, along with my magnificent co-host, Sarah Rattan bates
1: You are pulling out all the stops.
0: Let's see how long this can go on for. Yes, I mean, there's just so it. many words it. to describe uh, you. I, we, I, it'll be a new one each episode.
1: Listen, our guest has no idea what you're talking about. You should tell him <laughs> how great I am and what, well, what you're doing.
0: You know, you bring up a good point. We can talk about uh, how wonderful you are later. <laughs> but today, <laughs> I'm very excited because we have a phenomenal guest with us. And Sarah and I like to provide tips and, and practical advice on how to not only grow your practice, but also open up your own firm or practice if that's uh, a path or an avenue that you've been contemplating. And there's just so many things that, that need to be done and that you're not going to think of. And and I can tell you personally, law school doesn't teach you that at all. There's not even one class that, that provides that information for you. But when Sarah and I were talking about, okay, what are some steps, at least initially, that attorneys should take into consideration. Sarah brought up, well, how do you register? And and what do all these different letters mean? And I said, well, I think we should have someone on on who can properly explain this and provide some really good guidance and tips. And immediately, Sarah, who did you think of?
1: (sighs) Doug Whitlock.
0: And Doug Whitlock is a shareholder at Samber Phoenix Van Gotthard, But I'll go ahead but and wait, let wait,
1: Sarah wait,
2: take it from there. There's because, more. There's yes. more,
1: right, Doug? Um, the business practice group leader.
2: Uh, I am. That is correct.
1: Doug. Doug is embarrassed. We are embarrassing Doug. No, He's no, like, oh my gosh, stop talking you're, you're about
2: great. me. I'm, I'm a little <laughs> worried. I can live up to the introduction.
1: Uh, You can, Doug. I mean, Doug, you and I have worked together professionally for many, many years. Um, Tell us more about you. Tell our listeners about you.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me on. I'm very happy to do this, and I'm happy to answer questions as they come up offline if folks need it. Um, And I am a business attorney. I have been for 22 years. That's all I've done. And it's all transactional. I've, uh, you know, un, unlike Dan and team, I've, I, I'm have i not a courtroom attorney. I, in fact, I've only been in the court twice in my whole 22 years. All I do is help people set up businesses, help them through the life cycle of those businesses and all the different issues that come up between shareholders uh, relationships, uh, partner relationships, Working with employees, uh, you know, satisfying state requirements, which is what we're talking about a little bit here, and then helping them sell, buy assets, businesses, things like that. So, a general business attorney is the best way to describe me. Done a few things more than others, but uh, just to, I pride myself on trying to be practical and just cut to the chase and, and make things simple for folks. Well, for that, that's a business. great segue that's all he into does. that's it when <laughs>
0: If I'm an attorney and I'm thinking about going out on my own, and let's even add, if you're a current established firm, what is the benefit and the difference between an LLC and LLP and all those other letters that PC. Sarah's been asking about? Yeah, I yeah, mean the whole uh, alphabet. Pretty, I think Sarah went A much. through Z. Yeah, she sang you're, it earlier.
1: <laughs> and if we're exactly lucky,
0: right. maybe we can get her to sing it again.
1: I'm not singing today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's there's no limit to the alphabet. Soup. You can you can register as. You have to start. And, and anytime somebody comes into me to, to talk about setting up a business, uh, um, you know, I, I, I try to go back to the beginning and say, why would you even do it? You could still run your business operations individually, right? If you're a licensed attorney, in particular, you can go out be a sole practitioner. You don't necessarily have to register, but there are a lot of benefits to doing it. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But First, once you decide, hey, I'm going to register to figure out, well, what am I going to register as? The options you have vary by state. So you have to keep that in mind. And if you are in Virginia or if you're in California or Washington or Missouri, wherever you are, you have to look at the statutes. You have to see what is available. And we'll talk about some of the potentials. You've got partnerships. That's the that's the classic uh, old law firm partnership, just a general partnership. You know, there's no liability protection from one partner to the other. That has gone away for the most part. And you'll see on our outline that what's happened with a lot of just general partnerships, they've become what are called LLPs. And that is limited liability partnership. That just means two or more attorneys' Or people, business people have gotten together and said, yeah, we're a partnership, but we want some liability protection. So we're going to go into the state and register with the Secretary of State and say, give us this status. That way, when the world sees these letters behind our name, they know that if they're doing business with us. There's some protection uh, for us as to liabilities. And, you know, those liabilities could be contractual. They could be personal injury type liabilities it runs the gamut. If you're a practicing attorney, you're never going to limit your be able to limit your liability for your own practice, right? So even if I'm in my partnership, a limited LLP partnership and I you know, hopefully this doesn't happen, but I give somebody bad advice and it turns out that was wrong, and and they want to sue me for malpractice individually. They'll still always be able to do that, but they can't sue my other partners within that LLP. So that's a condensed version of why you would do it. And then marching through the alphabet soup, so to speak, you've got the limited liability partnership. You've got professional corporation, which is a PC. You have PLC, and, and in a lot of states, it's PLLC, which is a professional limited liability company. You have basic business corporation, which you'll see ink behind a name. You have basic LLCs would distinguish from a professional limited liability company. So the list is pretty enormous, but it is state specific. So you couldn't go into a state and potentially try to register as just an LLC if you're practicing law, unless that state statute allows professionals to do that.
0: Is there a certain limitations with the The state bar, if you're uh, going to be registering as a, a law firm, as to can you do an LLP or an LLC? Yeah,
2: that's a great transition, thank you. Um, yeah, that's that's the difference. Some states say that if you're a lawyer, we're only going to allow you to be in a, a partnership or in a corporation as a shareholder with other lawyers, and in order for us to know that you're doing it in the proper form, if you're a lawyer, you have to register as a professional corporation or as a professional limited liability company. That's the reason that you see people going into those. And, and what those statutes say is, and generally the underlying regulations for the profession, in this case, the lawyers, it'll say within the regulations, you cannot have another partner or you cannot have another shareholder or another member, if it's in an LLC, who is not a licensed attorney. And the PC statute says the same thing. So you've got the restrictions within the profession themselves, the ethical rules, or just the general regulations governing that profession, in this case, the attorneys. And then you have the statute for the professional corporation as an example. And it says, here's what you have to do to be a professional corporation if you're gonna register with Secretary of State in our state and here's how you're going to conduct your business for the most part all the statutes fall into general business corporation how do you select your share how do you select your directors how do you select your officers things like that it's very similar and it almost always goes back to the it refers to the business corporation statute the difference though if you have to form as a pc is there will be a specific provision in that statute that says you cannot have non lawyers within this corporation. And when you see PC that's usually why people are doing it because the rules require it. I know our time is short so I won't bore you with too much of the details but I always try to figure out why would they do this and what's the reasoning. Well, as a profession we generally don't want non lawyers making legal decisions or making business decisions that might impact the legal advice we give our clients. As an attorney, I think you can figure it out pretty quickly. I think the the example I always use, though, goes back to the profession of being a medical doctor. And I would not want a non-medical doctor as a shareholder saying, we need to cut costs, we need to cut costs, we need to cut costs, while the medical doctors are saying yes but we have to provide this level of care at a minimum right yeah. there's a distinction there and there's that pressure which is why these statutes are set up the way they are
0: that's a good point because there are attorneys out there who may get some funding from friends or relatives and, and they want to come on board but you can't have ownership in a law firm if you're not an attorney
2: exactly now that you have to look at your specific state but as a general rule that is the issue. And in most states, uh, there are those restrictions. There's some
0: interesting legislation happening in Arizona. I don't know if uh, you've been following it, but they're thinking about allowing non-lawyers to to get involved.
2: Yeah. There's been a lot of pressure Uh, ever since I started practicing. It's always been a hot topic, you know, because we always try to compare ourselves to the accountants out there. And the accountants seem to be a little bit ahead of us always on these issues of, you know, how can you maximize uh, efficiency and combining with the profession? So the accountants will sometimes hire attorneys into their firms to provide legal service, and, and they've skirted those rules a little bit. Um, and then their own rules are, are a lot more forgiving. On this topic,
0: I have a question. I know Sarah's going to uh, chime in because this is right up her alley. She's also uh, an expert in it too. We we have the the name right, the name of the firm, and we. No, okay. Yeah. Are we an LLP and LLC? But then we we have to register. What does that look like, guys? And and Why how detailed is are that?
1: Are you stealing my thunder? This was gonna be <laughs> my Sarah's next I'm giving you the platform. I called you. Doug. But wait, before we get into that, I I have to oh, tell boy. you guys that ever since Doug gave us the rundown on what an LLP is and, and what it's really used for, um. I just keep thinking at some point in our business relationship, we may need to register one. And it's solely to protect me from the liabilities that I feel you may inflict upon me at some point. (laughs) Um, Like singing, dancing, impressions.
0: I'll give you the know. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not the one that came up with a jingle. You're the singer.
1: Okay. And
0: you're going to sing the alphabet later.
1: I'm not singing today, Dan. Let it go.
0: I I don't think you know the whole alphabet. Okay,
1: Doug, listen. Um, Dan asked a question about then you have to register. So what I've learned, and again, Doug is the expert, that you start with the secretary of state, right, Doug? Is that where you start?
2: Yeah, it's secretary of state, whether that's in person or online.
1: And quite often, you can do your registration and your filing online.
2: That's absolutely correct.
1: I I know that some people are still old school, right? And they may make you walk (laughs) in. Um, Doug, what about those one-off situations, though, where you have to actually do a registration form at the Supreme Court level? I know that you and I have had those situations.
2: We absolutely have. And you just have to build in more time for the process. You know, if you're going up and it, it could be that all attorneys within a given state have to first register with the Supreme Court and then they go to the Secretary of State. And And a lot of times, Sarah, as I think you know, uh, all those rules we just talked about, Supreme Court wants to make sure that you're following those. Yeah, and sure. That it, and you know, a lot of it is um, not having folks who are not licensed in a particular state as owners of a partnership or a corporation practicing law in that state. So those those can be some other tricky issues, especially for if you're located in a city that borders two states and you have people licensed in, say, Illinois and Missouri, but maybe not both. And are they, you know, is your firm practicing in both states?
0: If I'm a firm and I'm looking to scale or expand and I want to go into another state, do I have to have my attorneys in my current state all licensed in that other state? And then my other question is uh, so, a subpart to that would be do I have to have a partner in that state?
2: I know Sarah can answer this question uh, without my help, but I'll go ahead and <laughs> take a stab at it. Uh, we need to
0: open the door. Someone's he head has
1: is getting me big. a lot.
2: <laughs> this is a a tough, tough issue, and it varies state to state to state. And what you'll find is the more popular states for maybe relocating or wanting to do business, like Florida or California, those states are usually more restrictive on how you can do business there. And they will say, and this is you know, state protective for the attorneys within the bar there. If you're going to come into our state and do business, you're going to have to have at least... An owner of this business licensed in this state. Florida is a good example of that. You're going to have to hire somebody who has a license there and you have to make them an owner. Although there are a lot of reasons for it. Usually it's the state bar protecting itself at the baseline, but a lot of it goes back to what we talked about earlier. We do not want as a profession People who are not licensed in this state, and I'm just picking Florida, uh, to be making decisions that affect the clients in Florida, if it's, you know, if, and it might be contrary to Florida law. So they're trying to protect for that. You know, they're also trying to protect the local bar. But uh, that's that's why that issue comes up. Not every state requires that.
0: Seems like it's just all the nice weather states.
1: No, it, it, it truly, I mean, Doug obviously knows it better than I do. It is just so different dependent on the state. And even once you get the entity registered, um, something that I know Doug and I can both relate to is the renewal process or even the application process It's always different, too. (laughs) I mean, you know, some states want just this teeny-tiny little form to be filled out, good to go. Um, Others want to know, like, if you have a dog and, you know, where did you go out to eat the last 60 days? You know, that's dramatic. But, no, seriously, um, there are states, right, Doug, where they want to know everybody who's maybe listed as a partner and every (laughs) state that you operate and practice in, you know, stuff like that. But... You you're, know something we exactly right. we didn't hit on, and I think it's really important for our listeners. So, you know, Doug, you've determined um, how you're going to register the entity. You've gone through the process with the Secretary of State, but what about the city level?
2: Yeah, that's a that is a trap for the unwary. And um, if you are in a jurisdiction that has a local registration filing requirement, and you don't even know about it, you'll wake up one morning with a bill in your email box, inbox, or in your regular mailbox saying, by the way, we found out you're doing business here since, you know, five years ago, and um, you should have been registered those five years. Well, here's the fee for registration for all of those every year since, and here's the penalty and the interest on that. The only good way that I know of, I'm not aware of one source uh, that lays out all the municipalities where you have to register, but it's always good practice if you're opening a new office somewhere, call City Hall, call the county and ask them, you know, or have so you could have another attorney in your firm do it, but just do it anonymously and say, you know, what are the refiling requirements? Make sure you know who you're talking with, that that person has some decision-making authority, and that you trust them. Uh, it's not just somebody who just guessing at something. Yeah. So you'll usually you'll usually have to ask for somebody up the chain of command, so to speak, uh, to to make certain of that. But if you're in Orange County in California, just now you you have. Filing
1: requirements. Yeah. You're going to need to register at the city. Uh, you know, something that I picked up on, which is, it's crazy, but I think it just correlates with the legal industry as a whole being a little slower, right, than, than other industries. So we were talking earlier that majority of your secretary of state registrations and even renewals, you, you do those online. Um, I've noticed the city's very different. A lot yeah. of those people, they still want you to walk in or you have to mail like the old school check. Does anyone still have a checkbook? Yep. I have one in a drawer, but I haven't pulled it out in a long time, right? Um, but they don't I have... also like reading
0: hard books, too. I do, I too. No, I, that... I have to feel it, touch it. I have to write the check. And then I'll, I'll put it in my checkbook. And then once it
1: clears, I highlight you like, it. Do you balance your checkbook still? Okay. Point being is I've noticed, though, over the last uh, three years, it actually started right before COVID, that even with those city registrations, they are now starting to open it up and offer online registrations and renewals. And I've even had some come back and send me letters saying, effective this date, we will no longer take your check. And I'm over here thinking, yay. Your money's no good. Way way to go, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, Well, Doug, I think this is a huge topic. I I have another idea in mind, but it's going to be a totally different episode, which is what happens when you expand to a different country?
0: Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Now you're really talking. Yeah, my my
1: heart's already racing.
0: One, But I I know we are on limited time. But once I do have a question because we follow all the rules and, you know, I'm a rule follower. Mm -hmm. So I register. How much time do I have to wait before I can practice?
2: Dan, to answer your question, it's usually effective immediately upon acceptance. Now. There's some caveats to that.
0: Is acceptance data filing?
2: Right. That's the question. Usually it's the filing, data filing. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: It's just like you think with a court, right? I mean, normally yeah. they're going to honor that, that, you know, think two ways. I mean, one, how many times have you gentlemen ever had to fall back on um, your postage stamp? That date that it was postmarked, yep. right? right. Uh, very similar concept. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the date that it's accepted, right, Doug? Is that what you said? Yeah,
2: it is. Now, that use of the word "accepted," as we all know in our profession, can be tricky. If you pick a name and you haven't checked that name, and the Secretary of State in a in a state says that name's too close to another name, we're not going to allow it. They'll reject it, and in which case, your filing has not been accepted, and you might not know that for a couple of days. Gen- general rule, though, you file it, you're in. Uh, there are no issues like that with the name. You can start practicing immediately.
1: Hey, I have a great idea. Oh, boy. Okay. So just for, for one of our clients, we assist them with business registrations. Um, we are hot and heavy in business renewal season. If you mm-hmm. really want to get a feel for this process, Dan, I'm just saying I got, I got a little stack that I need to work on tomorrow. You want to you wanna try doing them?
0: <laughs> is this Sarah's polite Hands way of hands-on
1: <laughs> training? I mean, the more you know, <laughs> that was a no. Well, Doug, I think that um, Dan and I have to have you back again. There, there really is additional layers, you know, to this this topic that we could dig into. Um, I've appreciated you coming. It makes me feel good that somebody came on that I know this time, Dan, and and not just you. So that's a win. Yes,
0: no, definitely. It's it's been very educational. I I know your your firm is well known in the Midwest, but for our our listeners and, and viewers, what states are are you able to help uh, clients out in?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Um, not often that somebody asked me to talk about these sorts of issues and, and as nerdy as it sounds, I enjoy it. Uh, we are, as you pointed out, we're a Midwest regional firm, but we have attorneys licensed and and more importantly, competent in and, and many, many jurisdictions across the U.S. And, and we have about half the states covered. So uh, we can help with issues in, in most all the states. These types of issues of just pure registrations and we we do across all 50 states and in various countries because it's not a license type of issue. Uh, and we have paralegals help us with it.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks again for Don, thank for being you. on here. Uh, we look forward yeah, to, no, to no, having no. you back if you're
2: willing to Happy come back. To do it. Anytime.
0: All right. Well, thank you everyone for, for joining us and listening. Sarah and I would greatly appreciate it if you would like, share and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm presented by Lexicon. Lexicon is a legal software and services provider that enables lawyers to do what they do best, practice law. Tune in next time with our hosts and be sure to subscribe and leave your review on your preferred podcast streaming platform or by visiting lexiconservices.com.